Well, good morning. So it's my, uh, it's always been my honor, always is my honor to be able to come up and, and speak, to be able to share what's on my heart. And it's uh, equally an honor for me to be able to close off the series that we've been working on, uh, The Way of Jesus. And so... <clears throat> I'm just wanting, for those folks who are visiting for the first time, I just do want to uh, bring a context to this. We've been working on a series that just really helps us uh, frame uh, what it, the characteristics of someone who's a follower of Jesus. And uh, has been already alluded to that the Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada has really put together a very, very uh, helpful uh, uh, framework for us to be able to understand and I, um, it's just been great that we've been able to work through it. Um, so I'm just going to just again, uh, just talk, uh, just refer back to uh, six of the seven uh, that we've looked at so far uh, in this series. It was actually back in September 30th that I opened up, actually Simon opened up the series, he gave an introduction overview, and then uh, on September 30th, I had the opportunity to speak about his life, which is that I've begun to follow Jesus and depending upon the spirit of Jesus in my journey. And then we moved on to his mission. I'm being sent by Jesus to bless others and invite them to follow him. His character, we've been looking at his character as well. I'm becoming like Jesus in my attitudes, behavior, and character. Then we looked at his love. I'm learning to love God and love others. We had the opportunity to also reflect on his teachings. I'm learning the teachings of Jesus. And last week, uh, we focused on discipleship. I'm helping someone, and someone is helping me to become a reproducing follower of Jesus. Now, before I get into the seventh marker this morning, I just want to acknowledge uh, Simon Peacock. We already acknowledged him this morning. We prayed for him, blessed him as he makes this decision into going into, into full-time studies. But I want to acknowledge him for the wonderful guide that he's put together. This has been great to have. And I want to really uh, just highlight the fact that, that what this guide does is just actually highlight what we've just been talking about and some other really, really inspiring, helpful tools for us in our discipleship our way of following Jesus. Now, I believe there are still some available. And so, I, if you haven't picked up one of these guides, I would really recommend that you do that. Because, I'm going to get my water here, because um, when we've gone through the series, it's not just a one-off. It's something that we want to continue to build into our lives as followers of Jesus. So I want to um, just highlight that. And just again... Thank uh, Simon for his excellent work in preparing the guide for us. I'd also like to thank those who responded to my invitation last week just to say, how has this series impacted you? How has the way of Jesus um, spoken into your life? How has it challenged you? And uh, I want to thank those who responded. One person uh, said this about the Way of Jesus series, that it was so, it's been so foundational to her life. Um, it's just reinforced what she came to believe when she was confirmed as a 16-year-old. And it's just that particular truth of what God's uh, saying through the Way of Jesus 
uh, it's just been uh, really an encouragement and inspiration to her. Another hillsider wrote this. The series is reminding me again the calling of myself as a Christian is more than just saying I've accepted Christ as my Savior. It requires much commitment, also continued evaluation of my choices over many years of experience in walking with Jesus. It is not an easy walk, but it is a rewarding one that is worth the sacrifices made and the promises we make to God. And I know just from what I've heard from Simon and I've heard uh, from others that there has been, uh, this has been a really uh, encouraging, inspirational, challenging uh, series of talks we've had. But again, my encouragement as we finish up today that it won't just be something that we dismiss. That would be something that we build into our lives personally and as a church. So my op- what I'm going to be doing today is I'm going to be looking at the seventh marker uh, of, of the way of Jesus, and that is his community. And this is what it says. I am participating in community of followers of Jesus on a mission to the world. I will repeat that again. I am participating in community of followers of Jesus on mission to the world. I think it would be safe to assume that uh, we have a grasp of what it's like to participate in a community. You, I believe, if I scan the room here, that many of you are involved in some degree, some way you're involved in communities outside of Hillside. And communities are are simply defined as... um, a characteristic that you have in common, something that you focus on. And if you were to go into the uh, Tri-City website and just look at the different community clubs there are, there are numerous clubs that you can be part of. The whole essence of being part, the very fact you're involved in a community, you've got some level of participation. So the idea of participating in a community uh, is not foreign to us. It might be that you're part of a cause, be it political or social. You might be part of something that's become a more of a, a trend now, which is being able to be a part of an online community where you're connecting virtually with people. So the idea is, uh, of, of, of a community is not foreign to us. But what makes the community of Jesus unique? And that's what I want to have us reflect upon. What I hope that I can be able to do is unpack for you uh, some thoughts around that, um, some reflections, and be able to leave us with some idea of what it means to have, be part of the community of Jesus. What does that look like? And I'm going to be able to, I'm going to highlight today three characteristics. I'm going to be talking about, first of all, worship as being one characteristic. Secondly, I'm going to be talking and reflecting upon unity. And thirdly, I'm going to be talking about generosity. Those are three. That's the roadmap that I'm hoping to be able to be on today with you. And I'm hoping that I can be able to, through my reflections, share some of the things that are on my heart about those matters and uh, be able to hopefully leave you with some inspiration, some uh, refocus, some realignments in the process. So, as I said, the first, the first characteristic that I really believe is unique uh, to belonging to a community of followers of Jesus is worship. Worship is very, very complex in a sense. It's, it's not just one-dimensional. This morning, we had worship here. 
we actually at Hillside carve out about 15 to 20 minutes, even sometimes 25 minutes of, of, of actual time in our service dedicated to what we call worship. But as we think about that term, uh, that's just, as I say, just one uh, reflection, one expression of that. I came across something that I want to share with you today that I think might be helpful as we just dive in to understand a little bit more what worship is. It's actually just a framework, and you might be even wanting to write some of this down. It's actually, if we're going to go through kind of the letters of worship, and we're going to just uh, unpack those word by word, and um, it may be something that you might want to use as a helpful outline for you. So we think about worship. W is the worthiness of God. Psalm 48.1, great is the Lord and most worthy of be praised. 1 Chronicles 16.25, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. My reflection on that particular, those particular verses is that God's worth remains constant despite what our outlook or feelings may be given at any given time. It's something that remains true irregardless of our feelings. And that's something that we can uh, lay hold of as a promise, because our feelings often dictate what we, what we, we say, what we, what we do in terms of expressing ourselves, and what the truth of God's worthiness is that His worth remains constant. Number, uh, next letter, or next, yeah, letter is O, obedience to God. 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. Psalm 119, 57, You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. There's a caution here that we be not deceived into thinking that Christian service or coming here on a Sunday morning and, and spending a 15 or 20 minutes in worship uh, is valued more than personal obedience to God and his word. It's always something that we have to be very careful as we think about worship because worship is about obedience. The next letter, R, reverence, fear of the Lord. Psalm 5, 7, but I by your great mercy will come into your house and in reverence will I bow down to your holy temple. Psalm 128, 1, blessed are those who fear the Lord who walk in his ways. We have an invitation by God himself, the, whole, the exalted one, to come into his house and feast at his table. In receiving this invitation, we must enter his house with an attitude of utmost respect, but while understanding that he also wants us to enjoy ourselves. It's attention. The understanding that God is holy, that God is above all things, and yet, and so coming in with that respect that you would give someone who is in that position or that status. But also, he wants us to have fun. He wants us to enjoy. He doesn't want us to be sober and downcast. He wants us to be rejoicing in this truth of who he is. It's attention. So it's attention that we must um, deal with personally in our own walk with God as well as we deal with as a uh, corporate ch a church coming together and collectively singing and worshiping Sunday morning. Letter S, sacrifice, confession. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. And in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It is the attitude of the heart which acknowledges moment by moment that it's only by grace we are saved, that not of ourselves, but a gift of God from God. Therefore, our adoration and service to God is motivated by gratitude and humility. H, holiness. Psalm 73, 13, 77, 13. Your ways, O God, are holy. 1 Peter 1, 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Holiness is both an Old and New Testament term is applied to the highest sense of God. It is the term for the moral excellence of God. Holiness embraces every aspect of God, every aspect of God. And, and our response to, to him we, is what we desire is that we want to have his holiness, holiness reflected in our lives. Intimacy is letter I. Psalm 61.4, I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Romans 8.12, but you've received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. God desires us to be open and honest with him. And to the extent that we can express this, will enable us to go beyond just saying the words or singing the lyrics to a worship song, but engage in the very heart of worship. And the final letter, P for praise. Psalm, one, Psalm 9, verse 1. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. First Peter 2, 9. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, it's really significant that the word praise be assigned to the letter P because what, we, what praise is really is all of what we've just talked about. We want to review quickly that worship is a very, it's a, it's a multidimensional uh, way of us relating to God. It's not just through one form. It's through many different ways. We've outlined that. I was out running yesterday, and uh, there's a particular uh, route I take. I live in Port Coquillum, and so we are blessed uh, in Port Coquillum, in the area I live, to uh, have, a, have a river close by and a dike that we can, I can run on. And I've been doing it, and I, just yesterday, I was out running. It was a day just like this, in the afternoon, well, apparently it was around lunchtime, actually. And um, the view I had was just absolutely phenomenal. I had the I had the, the river, and I had the mountains. I had the, little, the stream that fled out to the river. I was listening to my favorite worship tunes. I was just having a great experience of connecting with God. It was awesome. And you know what? We, I'm sure you could relate to times where you just have those really special moments uh, where you are connecting with God. It, it might not be the run, it might be something different. It might be just going out to a particular place that you just want to, again, enjoy the beauty of, of what God's created. But everything comes back to who God is. And what I was able to experience yesterday was uh, just a blessing to be able to have that, that emotional connection. And worship is that emotional connection. 
We need to have that. But we also need to know that our emotional connection is not going to change who God is. So if I come back from that run, and all of a sudden I'm hit with something that is um, disappointing in my life, where there's been a tragedy, and I can't necessarily have those great feelings, it does not change who God is. And that's the comforting peace. That's the peace that I think as, as a community of followers of Jesus that we can hold on to. That, the, that, that, any, that, that a community club just can't, just a, ba- a community club cannot be able to com- connect with that truth because as a church, we are connected to God most high. So, worship. One of the characteristics. The second characteristic that I want to um, highlight today is unity. I've got a couple of verses that I want to just highlight for you. John 17, 20 to 23, this is Jesus' prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Another scripture I want to highlight is Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And finally, one other verse, and this is just, these are just highlighted verses. There's other verses that speak to unity, but this one really spoke to me. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through in and all. I'm uh, currently going through a book right now, and I'm going to actually probably, maybe Simon can add this to the list. This is a book called Jesus the King. And I just started reading this. It's by Timothy Keller. And I'm a particular fan of Timothy. I I actually have another book I'm going to be referring to a bit later. But um, this book, really what he was uh, talking about in the beginning of the book is about the relationship between the Trinity. 
Now, the Trinity is a, is a, is a the triune God is, a, is a something that uh, people have uh, challenges with because we're really talking about someone who is three different people but yet one. We just, we just, the verses in Ephesians talked about that. But what I really wanted to share with you was what landed with me. I mean, I've heard talks on unity. I've heard talks on the Trinity. But this is what really landed with me. That before humankind was created, before man, women arrived on this earth, on this planet, there was a unique relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what Keller says. The Son and the Spirit are characterized in their very essence of mutually self-giving love. No person in the Trinity insists that the others revolve around him. Rather, each of them voluntarily circles and orbits around each other. Now, where this lands for me is this. That it's where unity originated from. When you think about it, we all have a sense when something is not unified, when, there's, when we hear of conflict rather than peace, we have in our, as humankind, a sense that that's not correct. There's something that's not aligned right. God originated the idea of mutually self-serving each other, where the other person is thought of more than, than himself. God intended that we treat each other the way the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit treat each other. And so here we are on Remembrance Day. And what is Remembrance Day about? Well, it's obviously, it's remembering the lost. But why were the lost? Why do we have lost? Because there are wars. There is conflict. There are issues, relational issues, and it all stems from one symptom, one major symptom that came about when sin entered the world, and that is self-centeredness. The belief that I'm right, that it's my world, and I'm going to make sure that my world is the world that I'm going to protect. It's the world that basically revolves around me. So when I make decisions, it's not about thinking of others. It's thinking about how am I going to benefit from this. This is something that has come about. It wasn't, it's, it's, in, it's in our nature that we are self-centered. It's the attitude that says, I, I want what I want. My interest's over theirs. I can have fun with people. I'll talk with people. But in the end, everything orbits around me. So, we see the symptoms of an attitude where self-centeredness creeps in and we have, it produces conflict. It produces disunity. But it isn't just something that is known to the world. It's in the church. I, um, I'm reading, actually I'm listening to the I'm listening to the audio of the book called Church History in Plain Language by Bruce Shelley. 
I've been going through it. It hasn't, it's been, it's, I mean, this is a very thick read. I would encourage you to do it, but I want to have you be prepared for something. That I, I guess I was maybe just a little naive, but what I found was in reading, listening to the audio, that throughout Christendom, throughout church history, there have been people who have made decisions around self-centeredness. In other words, I'm right and you're wrong. Do it my way. And when that happens, then things happen where people disagree. And sometimes those disagreements lead to deeper hostility. And that hostility can also be then fragment a church. And just, I want to just warn you that you're going to be listening to just one, um, like if you look at uh, individuals that have been risen and entered the service as being kind of heroes of the faith, there wasn't one that I came across up to this point that didn't have some disagreement with someone else because they thought that they were right. They thought that they had the proper interpretation of what the Bible says. They thought they had it, got to figure it out what God was intending. And sadly enough, sadly enough, they um, either withdrew. Sometimes people were actually excommunicated from church. Some people lost their lives because of disagreements. So it isn't something that's foreign to us. And when we talk about unity, I also want to speak about the kind of the white elephant in the room about just the, the, the disunity that can happen in something like a church like uh, this building, known at, at one time as Austin Avenue Chapel, that, we, that I grew up in the church and I remember uh, thinking to myself, you know, I don't think that I really intend to want to, to leave a church. It's my intention that I want to be able to actually be here and have fellowship with, with, uh, with friends and, and brothers and sisters. But something happened in, in Austin's history that actually was a result of people not agreeing and having a difficult time navigating how to deal with when people disagree. And the irony around uh, the history of Austin was that much of what we were encountering at that time was a more of an expression of the Holy Spirit, more of expression of uh, worship. Oh, we were doing all the, th what seemed to be all the right things to be doing as a church. And yet, in the midst of that, people weren't being heard. There were people, there were, there were people who really had concerns about some of the direction that the church was going at that time. And myself, even, as I was one who, who brought some of those concerns up, I wasn't being heard. Uh, and I basically, people that I really had close fellowship with, I thought that were, um, really had my back, didn't have my back. As a result of that, we ended up leaving. Now, that is something that I, I want to address this morning because I had to really make a difficult choice as I left that church. 
And I believe that what it was is that because of the outcome or the, imp- imp- the way it impacted my life at that time was I was disillusioned. I was absolutely hurt, disillusioned, and I was just grasping on to, to the understanding, is, it, is that you really God? Are you really here? Are you really involved in this? Is it, do you have anything to do with what's going on? And I want to address people in this, uh, sitting here today, that um, if you have been hurt by a conflict in a church, that I would just encourage you to, that if, you've, if, if bitterness, has, has bitterness has kind of crept in and has somehow shifted your alignment so that you are no longer really seeing God in the worship we've talked about earlier, that maybe you've just, it's become a little bit um, of a distance between you and God, I would really encourage you to uh, seek help and seek um, some counsel perhaps, because for myself, I had to be very intentional about what I needed to do to get beyond that. And it didn't take overnight. It actually took years. Years for me to grasp what was going on and for me to be able to to get to a sense that I'm, that um, God was okay, (laughs) that Jesus is okay, Uh, the church is okay. But I don't doubt that there are folks here that to some degree or another have been hurt. And I just want to encourage you to not allow bitterness to come in. Because I, would you take, if you were to take a poll of disenfranchised Christians today, people who are no longer involved with church, a high percentage of them have been hurt by conflict in the body of Christ. Now, I'm not going to leave you on that note, but I really feel all the way through this message in preparation, somehow I believe that God needs, is addressing that to someone or someone's in this room, that you need to seek out help, get prayer. Do not allow bitterness and resentment to be something that um, defines you. Because I have found in that, that it almost did define me. And I had to trust with the help of my wife, the help of family, to trust that, that God was working in my life and that he had a plan and a purpose. Now, I want to just, before I move on to the last piece, just want to say this. That there's a great story that's, that's unfolded with Hillside. Because what God did in 1998 is he took the remnants of Austin Avenue Chapel and he took Evergreen Fellowship and he brought them together. And from that, there has been a new community of followers of Jesus that have really reflected the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And being someone who's come back into this this church, into this community, one of the things I really do see uh, happening here is that there is a desire to seek unity. There is a desire to be humble and 
gentle and be patient and bear one another in love. And so that's our story. And let's continue as we move forward in this church that we actually continue to hold on to what is true, and that is that the Spirit of God works through us as we desire to humble ourselves and as we worship personally and as collectively, we can be able to strive toward the spirit of unity. The last, the last uh, point, the last characteristic is generosity. I have a number of verses um, to land on, but I have, and I'll just read them quickly and then I'll just land on one of them uh, as we conclude today. Second Corinthians 9, 11. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. First Timothy 6, 18. Command them to do good. Be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. And the verse that I want to just land on quickly here is Proverbs 22, verse 9. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Now, I've got another book I want to highlight for you. If you're interested in a great, a year-long study, uh, no, devotional more than study, it's called God's Wisdom for Navigating Life by Tim Keller. And in this last week, um, he just, this just came out to me, and it was just so, uh, so appropriate for what I was thinking about in terms of preparing for this message He says that the reason that Christians are free to radically give away money when needs are evident is because they are now members of a community that will do the same for them should they be in want. This gives us every incentive to maintain Christian communities of mutual, practical love like the early church where no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything together. Keller goes on to say, Radical generosity is an act of love toward God and toward others that exponentially increases love. It moves us from seeing money as a currency of status and power to instead seeing it as a currency for loving God and others. Hillside's story actually is, reflects that radical generosity. I've seen it in the DNA of this church. Trips to Africa, humongous garage sale, hillside care initiatives, the bread, the vegetables, the food share, uh, the share food bank, and then there's the generosity that's shown behind the scenes, where people are being cared for. I'm thinking about the way that the church has cared for Trudy Lewis who's just come into Canada in the last year and needed help, needed a place to, just needed a place to find and then to have, to furnish it. And when she found the place, the original place, it turned out that that particular place wasn't suitable, that she had to move again. And within two days of the time that we, she found out that she had to move again, there was help by just calling up folks in the church and by them lending a hand and by, before you knew it, within four days of the time that she expressed the need, she was completely moved in. You know the people that were involved in that. I just want to say that's, that's a reflection of Hillside Church. 
That's a reflection of radical generosity. So I'm going to throw out one more opportunity for us to express, and there will be opportunities down the road, but this is one that's just come up that I want to share with you and I want to encourage you with. We have the opportunity on December 8th to put on a Christmas dinner for um, the, food, the Share Food Bank clients. Folks that come in here every Wednesday, we want to be able to open the doors and be able to offer a Christmas dinner at no cost to them. And we need your help. And I have no problem believing that you're going to help. In fact, today, at the end of this, after my service, after the, my message is finished in just a minute or two, you can go back. Trudy Lewis is there at the back of the, uh, the just by the uh, sound booth, and she can have you sign up. We need people to set up. We need people to serve. We need people to help in the kitchen. We need people to, cl- to uh, clean up afterwards, to take down. Opportunity to be able to serve, to show radical generosity. Something that this church is, is known for, and I believe God is pleased with that. I really believe he is pleased. Don't get, ego, don't get too big-headed about it, but believe that God actually is very pleased with what, what uh, we're doing in way of generosity. So in conclusion, we have looked at the seventh marker that characterizes a follower of Jesus. I'm participating in a community of followers of Jesus on the mission to the world. And I've shared with you three indicators of what a community of followers of Jesus looks like. Three characteristics that if practiced in and through the power of the Holy Spirit will draw our neighbors, draw our community to Jesus himself. I want to circle back to um, some words of Jesus that he said back in John chapter 17, the prayer of Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, that they may be brought to complete unity. So in closing, my song this morning I'm going to share with you is a song that I wrote on this particular chapter, this, these particular verses. I was struck by um, the truth of this, and I'm going to share it with you. The words are going to be on there, and it's going to be a bit of an anthem for us as we get to the, to the course, but I want to just, uh, again, have you engage uh, in prayer as we're, we're singing the song to know that at the heart of God, at the heart of His Son, at the heart of the Holy Spirit, is this desire to demonstrate that we love him, to demonstrate that we care for each other, and by caring for each other, it's expressed through generosity. I'll get this strap fixed yet. There we go. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is the truth which purifies our hearts and minds. So our lives may glorify your Son, Jesus Christ, bringing honor to you, God, most high. 
In Jesus' name we pray. There is no other name. Jesus, Jesus, the name above all names. In Jesus' name we pray. We glorify His name. Jesus, Jesus, there's power in His name. Now we pray for unity like the love that we see between you, Father, and your Son so the world will come to see that Jesus is the King by the way that we are joined as one. Stand with me as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray there is no other name Jesus Jesus the name above all names in Jesus name we pray we glorify his name Jesus Jesus there's power in his name let's all together in Jesus name we pray there is no other name Jesus Jesus the name above all names in Jesus name we pray they glorify his name Jesus Jesus there's power in his name so Lord as we just come to the end of this service we've come back full circle to where our eyes should be on our eyes to be on the son who is loved by the father filled with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, you have empowered us to take worship, to take unity, and take generosity and be salt and light in this earth. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you for that opportunity. And I pray, Lord, for those this morning that have Maybe perhaps the area of unity has really resonated with them. Perhaps a conflict, perhaps something has happened where they have just really has thrown their alignment off. May they find healing. May they find restoration. May they find in you the sense of peace that they've been longing for. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.